Tim Robinson, Editor-in-Chief of Aerospace, and with me is Deputy Editor Steve Bridgewater and Features Editor Bella Richards. Hi Hi guys. Uh, Welcome to Aerospace NOTAM, another edition of our regular series of podcasts looking at global aviation, aerospace and space news and what we have in the upcoming issue of Aerospace, January 2024. The magazine covers everything from GA to spaceflight, airliners to airports, from air, law to e-VTOLs. So before we get into it, uh, what have we up to in in the past month? Steve, you've been to Italy, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I went out to Torino to, to Turin to the aerospace and defence meeting. Uh, I was invited to moderate one of the forums out there on um, the future of advanced air mobility and end-to-end transport, which was really interesting, actually. Uh, so the people are there, such as Fly the Birds, that have got the new sort of on-demand um, service that they're um, promoting. So... It was a really interesting conference all round. Um, so it was a three-day event, and the third day was actually devoted to the lunar economy, mm-hmm. which was a really fascinating, not just how we monetize the moon, to put it in blunt terms, but all the logistics and the legality that goes with that. But one of the things that really struck me was there was um, a contingent there from, obviously, from Italy, um, the, Italy's first astronaut, who's part of a company which is growing... Um, fresh food in spark creating systems to grow fresh food in space so for long distance really cool. space, space yeah. travel um, with the sort of vertical farms and um, you know, uh, shelves that will move according to how much the, uh, the crop has grown but they've already cultivated some vines in Spain yeah. uh, sorry in, in space and they are now creating space wine. Space wine. From yes. the grapes of these. So, uh, Sounds you, good. You pardon the pun, the cost's going to be astronomical. Oh. <laughs> I only said that just to get the gag in, I'm sorry. But, uh, but no, a really interesting trip. Um, yeah, a big, um, lot of discussion about GCAP and Team Tempest and the, the Italian side of that. So. Uh, yeah, um, a lot to a lot to write up for for future issues of the magazine. Excellent. Okay, uh, and Bella, you've been you've been uh, a little bit close to home, but you've been to the Defence Space Conference organised by uh, Air and Space uh, Power uh, um, Association and the MOD. So, what was that like? Yeah, no, that that was a really good conference. I mean, it wasn't Italy, unfortunately, but it was still London, um, and it, and it was a really good conference. Um, there were a lot of topics discussed, uh, mostly about the national space strategy, um, diversity in space and defence, um, attracting, developing and retaining the UK's space workforce. Um, actually, there, there was a lot more on space, I think, than defence, um, at least from what I could tell. But yeah, it was really interesting. There was obviously a lot to talk about. I'm going to be writing an article for the blog um, this coming week, so you guys can you know read more about it. But uh, in a kind of brief... Um, recap, uh, there was a lot of discussion about the strategy, the space strategy that was published, I think, two years ago now. And, um, Mark Bacon, the Deputy Director of Programs, Direct Investments and Sector Policy at the DSIT was talking about how it's great that we've had that, um, but at, at the moment, the priorities that the UK has is a little bit disjointed in the way that they don't know what their priorities are going to be. And so they were talking about how next year they're really going to hone in on certain priorities of the space strategy. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see, I guess, the outcome of that. Uh, they talked a lot about SMEs and how um, uh, there, there are a lot of questions coming in uh, to the panel talking about, you know, um, how, how can SMEs actually get contracts? You know, how, yeah, how can yeah. they be part of what often is going to the larger primes, which which makes sense and... Um, you know, they kind of want that, you know, bite uh, that the larger primes often get. And they were, they were talking about, you know, perhaps prime should be working with these smaller companies. Um, uh, someone mentioned, I don't remember who, but they were saying, honestly, the biggest, um, I guess, barrier with choosing smaller companies is that just the security. Yes. You know, yeah, larger yeah. primes obviously 
deal with all the time, yeah, so it's yeah. just easier to give it to them, but there has to be a whole amount of security that they have to go through with these SMEs that may not know them. Um, so, yeah, that was really interesting. And then uh, the diversity chat was very interesting. It was a lot more, I was I was telling Tim and Steve, it was a lot more unfiltered than I expected. Yeah. Um, example, Melissa Quinn, who was originally the head of uh, Spaceport Cornwall, and she's now with Slingshot Aerospace, um, you know, kind of talked about how she actually hasn't shared even the majority of the abuse she's suffered, um, you know, I guess just being a leader as a woman. And um, it was really interesting. And there, there was a lot more to it, honestly. I could keep going, but I'm going to stop there. But, yeah, it was, it was a really great day. And I, I hope a lot of what was discussed, you know, turns into action. Yeah, well, fantastic. I mean, we, we obviously, uh, Skynet is going to be a big big thing uh, in, in, in 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skynet 6, uh, 6, yeah. uh, enjoy it. And there's more, you know, one of the things, the things there is there's more money going into that than our, you know, ESA. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah. So, you know, huge big project there. So, oh, yeah. yeah, what have we got, Tim? Have you been yeah. anywhere? Well, I went downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I went downstairs to the Bill Bering Lake. We had the Wilbur and Orville Wright Lecture, uh, 120th anniversary. Uh, um, if you're listening to this in, in January, it was uh, last month. Um, and uh, that was given by Air Marshal Johnny Stringer, mm. RAF, who is Deputy Commander, NATO Air Command. So, mm. here's someone, um, you know, an air power commander. Uh, expert speaker, uh, tell you, you know, giving an update on on you know what is the the, the hot topics, what are the key concerns, what are the challenges. Really, really interesting stuff that he was talking about. You know, like the, the fact that the there's going to be 600 F-35s in Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's such a, a giant pro, uh, 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 sort of pro, a program, uh, and only only about 54 are, they, are, they, are actually US. Yeah. You yeah, know, like wow. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you've got this giant leap in the alliance's combined capabilities, and if you think about that with uh, you know Russia, which has got okay, uh, they're big and they're scary, but they've got like a kind of a handful of Su 57s maybe I don't know, 12, 14, you know, mm-hmm. not really in, in, in service, you know, versus. Um, but he, he is interested to be saying that you know there's two two things shaping European anti-access AT A two AD mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, destroyed degraded enemy air defences and uh, and then also uh, integrated uh, air and missile defence which has been completely not completely forgotten but I think you know last 20 years it's definitely been been uh, lower priority uh, and now your 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 missile defence is not just you're thinking about oh, cruise missiles and, and things like that but you've got loitering drones you've got small quadcopters you've got hypersonic stuff coming in so that is a, uh, so Ukraine has been a, you know it's been a real wake up call to uh, European capitals and, and to how, how do we meet this challenge so really interesting <coughs> lecture there from uh, Johnny um, yes and what else have we, have we had at the there was the games night, which I unfortunately had to miss, but you guys did our first Aero Society late yeah. games night, didn't you? It was was really that fun or was that fun? No, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. I, I honestly, there was a, the, a, a wide array of games that people could play, um, some long ones, some short ones. In particular, I think um, a really fun one, which shout out to Leah, I think, who made it the uh, Guess Who Guess aircraft, with aeroplanes. Version, yeah. aircraft yeah, edition yeah. version. Which honestly, I thought that was great, and I saw some people playing it. Um, and, and Tim, you were leading the flight sim. Uh, I was yeah, I was supervising the the Top Gun Maverick Challenge. Yep. Yes, it was, it was great. We had a, a real super uh, a Hornet uh, pilot turn up. Uh, so uh, so uh, or somebody who did a tour on, on a US Navy Super Hornet come up to give 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 the uh, expert tips on how to get around the course. Was he very competitive? Uh, uh, just a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> I could hear it. I was in the other room and I could hear people like, crowding up. Yeah, that was that was a great. And we also had a, a Speed Concord build, uh, yes. which uh, which looked like it wasn't going to get completed, and then. Yes. And then by the end of the night, it was. I was on a table, and they were like talking about how I don't think it's going to get. No, like, no, even yeah. though there's a lot of us, I don't think it will. And then. Yeah, and by the, by the end of the night, we had to, we had to, we had to actually, you know, also physically chuck people out. Yeah. People wanted to wander the carrier carrier uh, <laughs> landing uh, thing, and then they also wanted to have selfies taken with it with the with the concourse. Yeah, so that's what you want. Which is which is absolutely huge. I mean, you know, it's uh, it is. I don't know, two thousand two thousand pieces, three thousand pieces. It's it's yeah. a big. One. Yeah. So we, we, it's it's. I think it's definitely something we're going to do again. And uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, bigger and better next time. Yep. So so watch out for that. <laughs> 
So, um, what else, what, apart from what's been happening at the society, what's been going around in global aviation news in this past month? Uh, Steve, do you want to kick off what's caught your eye? Yeah, I'm going to kick off with the general aviation story. Kill surprise. No surprise. Uh, <laughs> not, not, a, not necessarily a good story. Um, we've got a couple of aircraft which have gone, oh, sorry, a couple of aircraft manufacturers that have gone into bankruptcy or mm. Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the last month. Um, Perhaps most notably Vans Aircraft, so leading kit plane manufacturer, um, you know, thousands and thousands of, uh, yeah, yeah. of, of RVs. I mean, it was founded in 1972 by Dick Van Grunsven, so he's, he's the van of vans. And um, they, they've just been hit with a combination of the financial crisis and supply chain issues. They did some subcontract out some of their work. And uh, there's been some issues with some of the laser cutting, so they've had to bring back some some of the parts that were sent out. Mm-hmm. Kit builders have had to come back into the factory, and all that's had a knock-on effect. Dick himself has, has plowed in more than ten million dollars of his own wow. money into the business over the last few months. I mean, it's, it's interesting how the, the, you know there seems to be quality control issues <coughs> sweeping the aerospace industry from. You know, yeah. airliners, yeah. airliner engines. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Pratt Whitney get to the front, right down to right down to the kit plane. Yeah, yeah. right yeah. down yeah. to the kit plane. Yeah. No, exactly, wasn't it? So they've um, they've filed for Chapter Eleven uh, protection, which means they can possibly they can carry on trading for now. Uh, they're still shipping kits. Um, the unfortunate thing for those who've already ordered their kits is that, there, and there are 1,500 of these people, is that they can either accept that they're going to be at a higher price and we're looking at a 34% increase in the cost, oh, gosh. or they're going to lose their deposits. So um, it's interesting, I was looking at a survey online on social media recently, and the, gen- the, the question was, you know, are you going to support Van, or are you going to send you, you know, go somewhere else? And people are still wedded to the company. I, I think it's because the product is such a good product. Mm-hmm. It's been around for such a long time. The company generally has a really good reputation for customer service. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the aeroplanes are just well beat. I mean, I've been lucky enough to fly in a variety of Vans types over the years, from the RV4 and the 6 through to the 8. Uh, it really, you know, it's just one of those, those aircraft which I think has got a, a very loyal following. Um, and then closer to home here in Europe, um, Robin Aircraft in France has um, been pushed into liquidation. Uh, they, again, they've been having financial problems, and um, the, uh, the court that's been looking after that has rejected the offers that have been made. Um, so they have um, gone into liquidation, which is a huge thing. I mean, Robin, one of the last manufacturers of all wood aeroplanes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the DR400. I mean, yeah, for those that don't know, Robin was, was formed by Pierre Robin. And uh, Jean Delamatez, who, who was Jodel. So you've got Jodel and Robin, hence the, yeah, the upturned wings on both the aircraft. Um, and they've recently been making the Cap 10 as well, which was the Mudra design. So both of those types, now the Robin DR400 and, and the Cap 10, both out of production. But there is a company still providing product support for those that have got the aeroplanes. But great shame. And yeah, the, the directors at Robin have said this isn't the end. They, they, they will look at coming back. And I hope they do because, yeah, it's a. Again, another iconic type. Do you think these, do you think these companies will, will still survive, and somebody will buy them up, or they'll come back out, and it'll just kind of, kind of, kind of limp on in a way? Or? I, su- I suspect that there will be people there to buy up the assets from yeah. because you know, again, you know, Roban's been around since 1957. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a heritage and a longevity there, and, a, and a, you know, a customer loyalty. Yeah. Um, and I think there's. You know, in the same way that people still want to buy Morgan sports cars that are made yes, out of wood, yeah. there, there's still a, an element of the, of the general aviation world that like that wooden fabric aeroplane. Yeah. So, um, you know, you can have your all singing, all dancing, glass cockpitted, carbon fibre <laughs> Cirrus, uh, but there are those who still like a, a wooden fabric, show that, you know, uh, Robin aeroplane. So, uh, hopefully, we've not seen the, the end of this mm. uh, this French manufacturer. But mm. uh, what about you, Bella? What's caught your eye? Yeah, um, Reliable Robotics. They uh, completed a successful flight test of uh, their autonomous Cessna Caravan aircraft with no pilot on board. Um, it was a 12-minute flight in Hollister, California in late November. Um, although there was a remote pilot controlling it from 50 miles away, it was still kind of another step into you know certifying it's completely autonomous. Um, Autopilot aircraft. 
Um, yes, the FAA approved uh, this test in June 2023. Um, and, yeah, it's cool to see that it was successful and, you know, the company is developing autonomous systems for uh, these types of uncrewed cargo applications. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not the first, I believe. I think in November, Rota Technologies, um, they are developing an autonomous vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, and they also completed um, their first uncrewed, well, first, <laughs> uh, an uncrewed flight test campaign of a civilian helicopter. Um, and then you've got WISC as well, exactly, doing this with WISC, autonomous yeah. EV tiles, aren't they? Yeah, so exactly. There's, there's a lot of developments. Different versions of it, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've got mixed opinions on, the, on this caravan Hello. scheme, because... <laughs> yeah, there is a worldwide pilot shortage, we know that, so yeah. there, is, there is certainly a need for this autonomous um, vehicle. But the caravan and aircraft like that have been a huge stepping stone for airline pilots on their career path. So if we're taking out that step of the right. career, it's in a way hampering the, the recruitment of pilots in itself. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it, I think it's a bit of a mixed blessing. But um, Well, I mean, there's, there's also X-Wing as well, mm -hmm. uh, working on Toronto Sunset, and they've, 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 they've fitted it into to caravan as well. But what, what, what's, what's interesting, uh, from my point of view, is that uh, so there seems to be sort of like a, a, sh a shift away from um, uh, you know reduced pilot ops or reduced crew ops from Airbus and Boeing. Uh, they're very, they're obviously you know there's, there's people there would would, would you know calm companies would like to make that happen. So, mm -hmm. Well, well, you know, or, or even even just just reduce the crew in the crews. Uh, but but there, there's been sort of pressure pilot unions, obviously. Uh, and also from the regulators say, hang on, we've just got to take this one step at a time. Yeah. Um, but what's particularly interesting is it seems to be coming out coming from the lower level of you know sort of GA and this these sort of like commuter and so oh, okay, well why didn't you do, why didn't you make a autonomous FedEx? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, FedEx. Uh, and if you if you're going somewhere where it's you know Alaska or Canada and you're flying over, you're not flying over cities or anything. This you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's where I think it's going to kind of come in, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to it. I totally see the opinion of you know mm. um, that kind of step, as you said, for pilots to be able to kind of uh, enhance their career through flying on these aircraft. But I guess, I mean, I've seen some comments about these type of stories saying you know it's it it not only affects um, you know getting pilots in and getting them experience. But I guess on the other hand, there's still job opportunities with the other end of it, you know, developing these technologies and, and even just being that remote pilot controlling, you know, 50 miles away. And the support network around exactly. it. Exactly. This is something we talked about in, Tur in Torino, actually, yeah. with the end-to-end the -end, um, yeah. system of, of advanced air mobility. And talking about vertiports, and there's actually an entire ecosystem of careers that can be based around this. And there were a couple of the companies there that were saying, we need to turn, and we're going to slightly off, off topic of it, turn the VTOL hub into a destination in itself. Right. So you, you've got the cinema, you've got the restaurants. You, so in a way, you've all made, you're influencing the public's opinion. You're slowly bringing them into the, the realisation that the eVTOL advanced air mobility is part of the future because they're, they're immersed in it when they're at the, the facility themselves. So you've got the restaurants, the bars, and then it happens to be the hub where these are coming and going. Yeah. So I'm looking sceptical. Well, I'm just thinking that it's uh, 10 minutes for the flight, and then, uh, yeah, it's a kind of like, yeah, two hours in the gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exit through the gift shop. Do you want to know what's called my eyes? What's called your eyes? Yeah, uh, so, breaking news as we go to press today, and uh, there's a big international treaty being <laughs> signed between the UK, Italy, and Japan for GCAP, Global Combat Air uh, Programme. Uh, so uh, big, 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 huge uh, military aviation project, mm -hmm. Tempest, FCAS, uh, and that's been signed uh, there and, and put it into it's the, the, the kind of international framework uh, behind this. And it's important because um, one of the key things is to do this at pay, this program at pace yeah. and do it faster, cheaper, mm. in service by 2035, which isn't very far away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they're they, they're going to go for the kind of uh, sort of program launch or um, kind of proper program launch uh, uh, 2025 so you've 10 years of sprint okay. and I think what's, what's been happening previously is that uh, the desire to do it has, has kind of gone on almost on word of mouth we want to do this yeah 
we're, we must work at pace, and it's kind of it's, it's another way of working, but there hasn't been that that, that key underlying treaty behind it. So the, the, this is this is key in, in getting the starting to get the, the, the framework there, the legal framework. And uh, so the big news for that is the UK is going to be the, the global HQ for this. Yeah. So a, a massive uh, a massive coup there, and then uh, the first CEO will be from Japan. Oh, well, I think wow. they're going to they're completely going to move the the, the CEOs round. Oh, yeah. A bit like Eurofighter, how Eurofighter does it, but that everyone gets a turn. But uh, still, still kind of um, a big milestone in this program. Uh, what else have we got? Um, I've got another downbeat story. Oh. Right. My next one will be happy story. <laughs> <I promise. laughs> um, Rolls Royce um, strategic care restructuring, two thousand five hundred jobs to go. Um, yeah, I, I, I live not far from Derby, so it's just something which is. Uh, affecting the local community where we are. But interestingly, Rolls, as part of this, Rolls-Royce's new CEO has said that they intend to uh, sell off their electric propulsion division, uh, which I think came as a, a surprise to many people. But um, within civil aerospace, we're going to focus on the wide-body commercial airline market and business aviation, where we can leverage the value from our Trent and Pearl engine families. Um, so where does this leave? The EV toll side of things, because yeah, yeah, there are a number of yeah. advanced air mobility developers who have been working with Rolls Royce on the propulsion systems. So um, this is not to say that it's being scrapped mm. at the moment. They're looking for a buyer, so it's mm. continuing for the time being uh, until a buyer steps forward. But um, yeah, throw some more doubt, I think, onto the advanced air mobility bubble and, and where we go with this. It, a, a little bit, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's kind of you know you you, you do wonder about that whether it's uh, it's going to be a sort of a, a decision that comes back to sort of like hold them in the future. So if all of a sudden, oh well, why did we stick with our yeah. Um, you know our, our electric uh, business uh, this sort of, sort of take off yeah. Mm. Uh, what else we got on, on uh, from you, Bella? Yeah. Um, well, this would have already happened, hopefully. Uh, when you guys are listening to this episode, but in itself, it's a big story. Uh, Blue Origin, yeah, uh, returning to flight on the 18th of December. I hope that by the time you're listening to this, it went successfully. Um, but yeah, they're they're reflying their new Shepard uh, suborbital payload mission. So it's actually they set up, they announced it on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're targeting a launch window that opens on December 18th for our new Shepard payload mission, NS24 will carry 33 science and research payloads, um, as well as 38,000 um, of the postcards. I realized I didn't paste in the rest of that tweet, but from memory, that's what it said. Um, which I believe, actually, they're reflying the payloads that were part of the, uh, right, yeah. the failure in uh, September 2022. But yeah, it's been, I think, about 15 months since yeah, that yeah. Um, last uncrewed research mission uh, took off and obviously failed 65 seconds after launch. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really good to see that they're up and running again. Um, Blue Origin hasn't said anything more, I believe, other than that tweet. Uh, there's there's nothing on their website. Um, and uh, it's alleged they could be using Booster 4, which has actually exclusively been used uh, for hu- their human launches so far. So um, it's going to be really interesting, but I guess it comes at a time, you know, not long after Virgin Galactic just announced they'd stop their Unity flights mm. in uh, mid-2024. So, yeah, there's a lot of things happening in human spaceflight, or at least um, kind of suborbital spaceflight. But, yeah, I guess I really hope it's successful, and hopefully then Blue Origin will be able to kind of increase their launch cadence um, in this next year. And do, do up the frequency then and, mm. and, uh, and get back to... to Obviously, playing sort of space tourists like yeah, uh, exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. It's been a Galactic <laughs> and the guys. Well, anything else from you, Tim? Uh, yeah, so I've got. Uh, well, I suppose it's uh, it's uh, it's, it's uh, again more uh, slightly depressing news to start the year off with. But um, the uh, UK um, NAO uh, National Order Office had, had uh, predicted a 17 billion hole in the MOD defence budget. Yeah, gosh, uh, that's massive. So um, these these things aren't new. They come around from time to time. Obviously, the the um, the NAO has got a, a, a duty there to um, you know to look at things and look at worst case scenarios. Uh, and uh, basically, it's inflation that, that's that's, yeah. uh, that's risen, and it's also yeah. the nuclear 
uh, you know, the nuclear program, the, so, the submarine program, submarine success, uh, uh, you know, sort of what, what tried and things like that. Uh, so that, that's that's actually sort of really, you know, kind of uh, eating away at the defence budget. So um, there is flexibility in there. Things can be deferred. Uh, they can be moved back. They can be moved around. But it's slightly worrying that the last time this happened, uh, around about 2010, we had Harrier retired early, Nimrod MRA full scrapped. Yeah. Uh, we've already had, uh, you know, we've already had things like now, you know, other defence uh, reviews, interior reviews, uh, you know, C-130s mm. got rid of. Um, the, um, you know, the Sentinel as well. Remember, just, uh, remember the Sentinel radar plane? Yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was a key capability. We've not got much else to trim. So, what, you know, if, 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 if it does come to the, the worst case scenario, what, what's left to trim in terms of the current mm. budget? And then also, do you... Uh, what do you cut now to protect things like GCAP, mm-hmm. Tempest, uh, tomorrow? You know, you've got this great uh, program there that wants funding and that will ramp up, and that's, it's, it's going to be a great economic program. Yeah. You know, and it's it's got a huge sales potential, but it's going to be like you know, it's going to be uh, it could be some 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 really difficult decisions there for people as to well, how do we how do we balance the, the what we need now, what we need in the future? And interestingly, I was talking to to, to somebody. Who uh, actually uh, at our, our corporate product reception last night? Who said something along the lines of uh, people need to wake up because it's uh, effectively 1938, and we need to uh, yeah. we need to be uh, the timelines people are talking about for uh, SCAF or, or something yeah. like that in the future. They're still too far in the future. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you need to look at what what's what's going on the pace the pacing threat what what is going on you need to to, to get get together what you've got now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um, in the next couple of years uh, so that was uh, yeah yeah not a cheery thought anyway can I give you some good news yeah go on Hill helicopters um, mm. company that we yeah. followed for a while and yeah. you and I went and visited yeah. them um, back in March. They have unveiled the uh, prototypes of their new helicopters. So uh, the HX50, uh, yeah. two versions: one with wheels, one with uh, skidded undercarriage or trainer wheels, as I think Jason Hill <laughs> called it in the uh, the unveil. Um, they haven't especially been down at Duxford, the Pierre Museum, Duxford, to to roll out these, and also uh, more details about the HC50 version, mm. which is the commercially uh, certified variant. Um, I just think it's really interesting to see what Jason's doing with this. For those that don't know, Jason Hill is he's trying to sort of revolutionise the, the helicopter market, but also the general aviation market. He calls it GA 2.0. So, you know, if you have flown in a light aircraft or a small helicopter in recent years, you'll know that it's not necessarily the same standard as the car that you drove to the airfield in. Yeah. And what Jason's trying to do is bring the, the aircraft up to automotive standards, but he's doing every, almost everything in-house, including developing their own yeah, engine. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, Tim, you and I went, and I wouldn't say we were sceptical, but we, we, yeah, yeah. it took us a little bit to get our head around why you would do it's like having all your eggs in one basket isn't it why you would do this and, and as Jason explained at the time he designed his helicopter around an engine made by manufacturer X and X decided to stop making that engine or to double the price of it he was stuck yeah. so I can see the logic um, and yeah, he, he has the, the freedom there to really, really think outside the box and as he said, you know, he's not doing anything particularly radical with this stuff. Mm-hmm. He's using the greatest hits of everybody else yes. and, yeah. um, and, yeah. and, and, and pulling it together. And, and I think it's just really exciting that we've got an aircraft manufacturer here in the UK. Yeah. You know, they've, they've announced they've got their, as part of their rollout, they announced that they're going to Hayley Green uh, or Wolverhampton Airport, and that's where they're going to be doing their assembly and flight test. Um, so just it, it's just some great news, actually. You know, we've, we've often bemoaned ever since you know, Duncan Sam's 1957 white paper that we don't have an aircraft manufacturing industry in this country, really. And here we've got somebody starting afresh. So, yeah, great news. And, well, and you know, you, you think about kind of uh, Robinson helicopters, you know, they, they, they got started. I mean, people have been sceptical about them at the start as to, you know, this will this never, never, never take off, it'll never work, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So. You, just, you need that person with the faith. And, you know, let's be honest, Jason has got a PhD in helicopter fluid dynamics or something <laughs> like that. So 
he knows what he's doing. And it seems like he has such great vision. Like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, it's very tangible. You, you can tell, and it's and even just saying, I think I was reading something where he said he just wants to bring back the fun in flying. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So um, yeah, with yeah, without wanting to sound too much of a fanboy, <laughs> this is uh, this is a really really exciting. Yeah, we, we've got eVTOL developers in the UK as well. This has got the, the, the potential to be really, really big. And I know Jason's got lots of orders in, in the book already for this. So, um, you know, it's it, it, yeah. you know, a great way to start 2024. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, what about you? You've, you've, uh, you've been tracking some, some fun uh, yeah, stories in space as well. Bit of an interesting story. Um, two propellant tanks for the final Vega flight had gone missing. Uh, apparently this actually... How do you lose a... I, I, don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I think what kind of came out, uh, European Space Flight uh, were the one to break the story, and apparently they actually heard about it in early October, but only last week it was kind of confirmed by official sources. Um, and so apparently what they suspect happened, so these uh, tanks were you know, housed in the AVO production uh, department, and it had undergone renovation work, and at some point during that time, that's when the tanks were found to be missing. And I believe they eventually found them, possibly months later. Um, but unfortunately, these tanks were not in usable state. They'd been crushed and were found alongside metal scraps in landfills. So I, <laughs> I, clearly someone, I don't know, missed, they just thought, oh, this is rubbish. I guess we put it in the... Then, Who know. hasn't among us put, put crucial parts for an upcoming space mission in, 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 in the bin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not good. And so they, they have a few options, or they're kind of discussing a few options, um, and just to salvage the mission. So uh, what was originally going to be the biomass mission, uh, which now in the summer was replaced to be the sentinel Juicy Earth Observation mission, um, which was supposed to be launching in this, uh, so there's kind of a few solutions they're looking at. They're looking at using the tanks that were used during the vehicle's qualification phase um, before its flight in 2012, which mm. is a bit of an iffy, mm. I don't know, kind of uh, people are kind of saying it's a bit untrustworthy. And then possibly they're looking at modifying the upper stage uh, that's on board the Vega C. Um, again, that's also one that's a little bit of a risk. <laughs> But I guess that's what you have to do when you lose your yeah. two propellant tanks. So yeah, well, yeah. Okay. And that, that's I think it's what's known as a career-limiting move, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whenever, whenever they find out who put those in the skip. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So, I mean, so the last story for me yeah. is uh, it's, it's on the civil side, it's uh, civil industry, and a launch aid for Airbus. So this is a report from the Financial Times and. Uh, uh, Airbus there, so, so talking to the to Financial Times and, and, and sort of hinting they might need uh, launch aid for an A320 mm. NEO successor. Mm. So, yeah. um, <coughs> might need some support. Obviously, huge, huge development cost mm. in developing a new airline. Even if you're re-engineering, if, you, if you're oh. re-engineering or if you're putting a new wing on it. Um, so, the, the, the sticking point would be was this was a... This is kind of reopening the the the, 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 the spectre or the threat of a new some kind of new transatlantic trade war with the world exactly. WTO, Airbus and Boeing. They went at it in the, in the courts. Yeah, they came to an agreement. Everyone kind of uh, everyone was reporting it, uh, briefed a sigh of relief because we were we were fed up of, of uh, you know uh, writing about it every week. <laughs> Um, um, but there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wrinkle here in, in that, that things have changed in that Airbus is now the, Airbus is now the top dog, mm-hmm. yeah, at least in, at least in, in, in single R. You know? mm-hmm. so, so they have got you know, massive majority, uh, market share. A321 in particular yeah. is just cleaning, it, uh, cleaning up. So you know, you could argue if you're a boat, so why, why would you why, why would you give Airbus launch uh, aid? Mm-hmm. Why would Europe give a launch aid to to, to wipe us out completely? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a little bit unfair. However, if they're now from the sustainability side of things, if European governments are now uh, demanding, you know, aviation has to decarbonise, it has to decarbonise fast. You need to, guys need to be getting zero carbon, mm-hmm. and Airbus have got the zero E program. Yeah. Uh, for hydrogen propulsion, that is a, such a huge leap and such a massive outlay of expense you, is, is going to be needed. I mean, they're already, getting, they're already getting some, you know, they're already getting some funding for things like kind of clean sky and things like that. Various research projects around Europe, 
Uh, so there is some support, some support anyway, but um, that is such a huge ask. It's basically, you know, the, the beast leaps since the, the, you know, from the piston engine to yeah. uh, jet, yeah, to the jet engine. Possibly even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly yeah. Even, even bigger. Uh, so you, you, I, you know, you, you can you can see why. So well, okay, you, you want us to to go and make this leap of faith. Mm-hmm. We, we could do with some, some backing here, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the biggest leap since the giant And also, uh, in the US, the, the, uh, <coughs> the, the you know, Boeing or, or the US aerospace industry is, is not getting um, uh, sort of like launch aid as such, but it is getting, it's getting NASA support, and NASA support and Pentagon support. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's now two full-size X-planes that could make it into a, into a, into a future airliner. There's NASA's X-66 uh, transonic trust uh, uh, wing yeah. that uh, Boeing is working on, and then you've got Jet Zero's Bledwick body, which is being looked at for the Pentagon mm-hmm. for a transport, mm-hmm. but then also could be a potential future airline. So there's, there's two now um, state-supported projects. Mm-hmm. We have some sort of state for, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, funding national support in the US that could be future airliners. As we said before, look at how the 707 grew out of yeah. the you know, the Dash 80 project, which was effectively a, a, a tanker, wasn't it? So, so, so yeah, so really, really, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a, a really interesting uh, kind of uh, thing here, a, a battle again, or a dogfight if you want to, but there's a really uh, interesting sort of, uh, you know, kind of situation emerging here about, okay, what what's the, we've got this, We've got sustainability uh, goals. Everyone's going for it. Who pays? Mm-hmm. And, and how does this get supported? Who, who's going to pay for it? Yeah. So yeah, so that's me for the for the, for the news. Anyway. So let's have a look uh, about what have we got in the general issue. So we are we are we are just about to go to press. Uh, what have we got in this issue? Shall I go first? Yeah, go for it. I mean, I, uh, one of my favourite features we've got is from Trevor Beatty. Yes. Um, you know, well-known advertising guru, yeah. uh, all-round good egg aviation enthusiast, who lucky so-and-so flew on Virgin Galactic's um, Spaceship Two. Yeah. As uh, was the first Brummie in space. The first Brummie <laughs> in space. Um, and if anybody's read any of, uh, of Trevor's work in the past, will know what a, a good author he is. Mm-hmm. And this is a fantastic bit of prose. It really is. Um, but what I really like is that he took something into space with yes. and uh, being an aviation enthusiast, he possesses in his collection a check which was signed by Orville Wright. Mm-hmm. So uh, Orville Wright's check and signature have now gone into space, you know, 120 years on yeah. from, from 1903 when the Wright brothers first flew. So... I think it's at that sort of great full circle, um, and you know, yeah, Tim, you and I saw Trevor the other night. He was at uh, one of our events, and you know, he's still got that that post space flight sparkle in his eye, hasn't he? He's, he's still a little high for it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was saying that uh, he was uh, still telling us just to just to digress uh, slightly because it is such an amazing story. He's saying that he. So we asked him, you know, did you get the overview effect? And he, he said, well, he's going to look at one window, he's probably look at one window, push off to the next window, and then look up for the the uh, uh, top window because yeah. then you're upside down. Mm-hmm. He said it, it hit him when he kind of looked at the front of the spacecraft and the windows and you saw the the dark, you know, the blacker space curve of the Earth. And he said it was there, and then the, the spacecraft was moving around you, which seemed a very weird feeling. Mm. And he said at that point he, he felt like this the, the cabin was in the way. Yeah. Yeah. He was just floating above the earth, and it was just the cabin that was in the, in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, great thing for, from, uh, from Trevor. All right, you. Yeah. Well, similarly, um, I guess. Uh, uh, I got to interview the wonderful Kelly Girardi, um, who was at the uh, on the latest Virgin Galactic flight um, at the Dubai Air Show, and it was just so it was so great talking to her. She um, she all t- uh, different, I guess, to Trevor is that yeah yeah she didn't um, really experience that overview overview effect. She, she was like I understood it, but I was so busy, you know, because it was the first uh, flight where they got to do. Um, Science experiments. So on the yeah, she was there as a scientist, not as a tourist. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so she didn't get as much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, bes- besides the point, uh, she you know just had, had so much, of course, so many good things to say. And um, really, she just—I think 
Yeah, she just describes. I, I it just makes me want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just had this way of speaking where I was just invested. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I think I need to be on the next flight. But you know, uh, aside from that as well, she also talked about her experiences um, <coughs> being an influencer um, because uh, if you follow her on anything, she has a really big following and she talks a lot about um, being a woman in space and also being a mother. Um, you know, as as well as having a big career. And I think she just has some really interesting perspectives. And I, I love what she said about how she loves being able to kind of break that perception of what a woman in STEM needs to look like, mm. um, you know, to the rest of the world and, and showing how that you can embrace your femininity while also, you know, being <laughs> an astronaut. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was really great um, speaking to her and um, great writing about it. Fantastic, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's good. Nice, we've got you know the kind of old school yeah. kind of uh, you know sort of uh, from the view from sort of uh, you know sort of Trevor inspired by Apollo. We have got uh, Kelly in there as well. Yeah. It was uh, a group in Florida, Florida. Yeah, kind of a younger generation influencer. So two two people both obsessed by space. You're, yeah. you're right. I mean, Trevor said you know he, he grew up in the space race. Yeah, in, in the sixties, but. Yeah, his school projects were, were yeah. on, on the space race, and then Kelly grew up watching shuttle launches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she lived in the backdrop of so, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, Tim, you've um, been editing a piece about Tempest. Yeah, so we've got a, we've obviously, uh, Tempest GCAP is big news, uh, big news today with the treaty being signed. We've already talked about that. Uh, but we've got a very uh, interesting article coming up uh, by, uh, put together where we get some of the, the expert, uh, top experts in their field uh, who uh, uh, present views on, on you know, GCAP and Tempest. Is it, uh, is it any good? Uh, what are the pros and cons? Uh, so uh, people like uh, Bill Sweetman, mm-hmm. Professor Justin Bronk, uh, and uh, Francis Tudor. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these people are very, very skeptical on mm-hmm. uh, in, in other things. Mm-hmm. But what, what's interesting with that is uh, bar one, all of them are very, very positive about GCAP. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that was something that, that was uh, Joe Coles yeah. put this uh, article together. He, he was having difficulty finding <coughs> people negative about it. Yeah, wow. Which is pretty unusual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, obviously, yeah. It's, 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 it's early days yet. Uh, and there's... there's uh, so... So you can't really, you know, you, you can't really sort of say, well, it's gone off schedule, it's over, it's over budget, it's, it's uh, that sort of thing. This doesn't work on it because it, you know, mm. hasn't flown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, in a sense, you can be quite positive about it. But they, they were, uh, you know, it was almost unanimous there about the, you know, the, the operational, strategic, yeah. economic benefits mm. of GCAP. So yeah, really interesting article and uh, something to have a, have, a, have a good read about there and get get some insight. Uh, what else have we got there? Um, I edited an article in this issue which was written by Robert Jocelyn yes. from Embry-Riddle, yeah. um, which we thought one size does not necessarily fit all. And it's looking at future cockpit developments. Mm. Um, and it's a really interesting subject, actually, because you, you think about the ergonomics of being in a cockpit, and you think most things generally, can, compared to how they were in the 30s and 40s, a modern-day cockpit is relatively ergonomic. But it doesn't necessarily correspond for pilots of different sizes. So, you know, if you've got a, a six foot four tall male, or yeah. you've got a five foot three uh, tall female, their eye line in the cockpit of, and their reach and things don't necessarily correspond. And uh, the point that Robert has made is that, you know, the most recent um, survey that's been done on, on the average human size was done in 2012. So it's really quite a long way out yeah. of date. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these um, the cockpits were designed a long way previous to that. I just want to read you a couple of uh, quotes from the article which, which Robert's pulled out of various accident reports or safety reports. And one here said, the female pilot slipped her left arm out of the shoulder strap to be able to reach forward to make a GPS adjustment. As she slipped her arm out of the strap, the strap caught the idler pulley clutch handle located between the two, the two seats at shoulder height. When she leaned forward, this caused the rotor in the helicopter to become disengaged, pulling the T-handle, thus disengaging oh. the clutch. So it's things like that you don't necessarily yeah. think yeah, of. There's yeah. a number of examples that Robert's put in here. That it's, just, it's just really interesting. Yeah. And his, yeah, his, his, um, I guess his closing remarks is that civil aviation authorities around the world really need to start to look at 
developing and updating these anthropometric databases. Um, yeah, at least every 10 years, if not more, because the human body is changing over the course of time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's something I suppose the, the EV talk people and the advanced air mobility, uh, you know, kind of, uh, sort of people, people want me to look into as well as to, are you, yeah, it looks fancy, it looks great, you've got all these glass screens everywhere and you've got great, you know, what looks, what looks really good from the, from, from the yeah. outside <laughs> in the CGI and the promo pictures. Yeah, does it, is it going to fit everybody? Yeah. Um, you know, where, where is your eye line when you're sitting in that car? Yeah, yeah. Can you see the warning lights? You know, yeah, I've flown various old aeroplanes over the time where you've got a, 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 a particular lever or wheel or something which you've got to reach behind you to get to. And I thought, yeah, we've gone past, past that and we have, but there are still things that we need to improve. And so I think Robert's article is, is a really timely one. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Bella? What else yeah, are you looking forward um, to? I've got another space story here written by Richard Lowe, uh, basically all about the, kind of the good, bad and ugly of this last year in the space industry and uh, kind of looking into the next year. And um, the article's great and I just wanted to mention that while I was editing it, uh, there was a footnote saying, with apologies to Frank Sinatra, Tom Petty, <laughs> The Beatles, John Denver, The Carpenters, Stevie Wonder and associated copyright holders. And I... I asked him and Steve, I was like, what is this in association to? And they both had a collective sigh of disappointment in me because each heading, uh, each subheading Don't is... Don't give it a go. We, oh. people, we want people to read the magazine. Anyway, but back to the, the meat of the article. Yeah, pretty much, you know, looking at this last year, this was a really, really big year for space, and honestly, we're probably going to say that every year um, in the future, but, you know, there are a lot of things. There was the uh, India's Chandrayaan landing on the moon's south pole in September. There was obviously Starship's two um, big attempts. Um, and then there were some, you know, not great things like Ariane 6 hasn't launched yet, or even Vega C remaining grounded, or uh, more locally, Virgin Orbit, not only... Yeah. Failing, but then, you know, not being sold for parts pretty much now. Um, and looking at this next year, will Ariane 6 launch, which they should be. Um, ESA announced that they should be launching between, I think, April and July, something like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, just looking at, I guess, what are the themes of this uh, next year and um, what should we be looking at in the UK specifically? Um, and yeah, it's a really great kind of just overlook of yeah. what's happened and what's to come. I mean, a really interesting thing that, that, that jumped out at me was uh, the, the, the growth in the in-orbit manufacturing yeah. and life extension. Uh, Which is massive. There's so many companies doing that. Yeah, now. so that is going to be that's going to be a real sort of like growth uh, area so it's it's, to watch. It's in, going in, to be profitable. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where I think that's also a really good opportunity for countries who may not have um, like launch services or or things where they don't necessarily launch rockets themselves, but they have really uh, you know developed technology in being able to uh, extend a satellite's life yeah. or be able to inspect it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really good growth opportunity for. Uh, not even, you know, massive space-bearing countries. Yeah, okay. I mean, that actually fits in quite well with Rob Coppinger's column this time. Yeah, so, so we, are, we, we are covering here in this, uh, in this uh, next issue of the uh, magazine. So um, UAPs were a big story mm-hmm. uh, this year. We probably started off the year, actually, uh, sort of, uh, February 2023, we started off with, with Chinese balloons being shot down by F-22s uh, over the US, which yeah. is quite... A, quite Quite a novelty, uh, and then we've also got sort of uh, releases there of uh, UFO type uh, footage that has been been floating around for a bit. Uh, it's now gone to the to the level of kind of Congress, uh, Pentagon's got interest uh, interest in it, and, and and partly this this, this thing is trying to. Uh, take away the giggle factor of um, you know reporting UFOs and uh, you know turning out un- unidentified aerial phenomenon, and so. Uh, and I think what's, what the US is trying to do there, and the, 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 the balloon uh, crisis, balloon craze, uh, uh, panic, the great balloon panic of 2015, was, was kind of a wake-up call into what's in our airspace. Yeah. What, what's, yeah. What, what, what's in our airspace that we don't know about? Yeah. What's floating around there that we don't know about? Um, and so there is now a high level, uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, sort of congressional interest in this, uh, and, uh, reports and what have you. And there's a new bill going for before uh, that is before uh, you know Congress in um, 
uh, kind of a release of all information, mm-hmm. unless the president specifically says no, you've got to yeah. keep it secret. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're trying to kind of uh, make it more open, uh, more reportable. And I think part of this is down, you know, from NASA's point of view, it's, it's safety of flight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Safety of flight, and uh, the, from the other sort of thing, it is: are we being spied on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are these are are, are US <coughs> Navy pilots encountering things that aren't from uh, you know other planets or uh, little little uh, green men? But are they are they adversary systems yeah. being launched from I don't know some submarine or some uh, converted uh, uh, kind of freighter or something, and they're they're just picking up yeah. electronics uh, signals and stuff like that? So at the end really, of the day, it's unidentified. That's the yeah. crucial thing, isn't yeah. it? We need to know what it is. Um, of course, the other thing Rob's written for us this time is about um, satellite armour, yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting. So Rob has his regular uh, pushing the envelope column, and uh, this month he's looked at using 3D printing to create armour for satellites. Uh, and this is not necessarily armour from, um, from a defence yeah, military yeah. point of view, but yeah. you know, the tiniest speck of space debris, yeah, which is you know, pennies in cost, could cause millions of pounds of damage yeah. to, to a satellite. So... He's looking at technology here, which is using 3D printing with voids within it. Um, and it's been tested in the US now, and um, you know, by effectively firing metal discs at this in the laboratory, they found that having these voids in the, in the 3D printed material makes it incredibly strong. So, and yeah, and of course, light as well, so which is everything you need for a satellite. Yeah, yeah no, really, really interesting bit, bit there. What about uh, drone deliveries? You've, uh, yeah, I've actually got a general aviation story. Uh, wow. <laughs> No, um, this story um, is, is really interesting, kind of looking at, um, you know, un- uh, delivering goods and services by uncrewed air vehicles and what it's looking like now. Um, and, yeah, it's, I guess because this was definitely something similar to EV tolls, you know, that people thought in history, you know, are we ever going to get these uncrewed flying things coming mm. down and delivering me my coffee? Mm. And, actually, that I remember that when I first started writing about aviation, um, that was one of the first stories I read about in Australia, a company called Wing sending KFC <laughs> to people via a drone. And I was like, okay, that's what this industry is about. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, this, this article is kind of looking at, um, in a global sense, what it looks like now, the companies involved in it, um, and also in a UK sense, and kind of uh, where it's going to be most beneficial. Um, the article is talking about, you know, Example, Australia is actually a good example. You know, it's it's massive, <laughs> the country, but it also uh, has a, a lot of kind of unused area. And so this type of this type of delivery service could actually be really useful. Um, but it would also be in a really different way. You know, because there's a lot of uh, unused space, it's going to be different to kind of congested cityscape um, kind of. Uh, yeah, a process of doing it. So yeah. it was really interesting and looking at the UK and, and Royal Mail, um, the Wind Racer and... Yeah, they've been flying over to Orkney, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Mail in Scotland. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting and I, I think I, I think we're going to see more of this activity in the future and I think this is one of those really good examples of, uh, I guess... Unpiloted, the biggest yes. unpiloted. But, but this is this is really this is really the, the middle mile, isn't it? Rather than because exactly. I mean the, 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 the whole thing about obviously you said about you know people delivering uh, pizza and, and things like yeah. that, beer and, and there was a, there was a spate of people you know kind of like a, a craze for it as if you you're opening a new restaurant you know uh, well your 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 beer is going to be brought to you by a little quadcopter and things like that and yeah. uh, uh, even 2015 I mean uh, you know Amazon had a huge marketing yep. campaign with Jeremy Clarkson, uh, Primair, you know, they're going, oh yes, you're going to do de- doorstep uh, delivery and this is coming. And everyone thought, well, Amazon, Amazon must be able to, to, to do it. And didn't, didn't go anywhere. Yeah. That's almost, you know, uh, so 2015. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, but what it is now is it, that middle mile stuff where you've got something like the Wind Racer, yeah. takes off from a short, uh, you know, field, lands at the other end. And, and apparently cuts like 24 hours yeah, from the previous yeah. delivery time, which is obviously <laughs> a great success. I think, I think this has got huge applications for places like Africa where you, yeah, you, exactly. you've got very inhospitable terrain, but you need particularly medicines yeah. and pharmaceutical applications yeah. of, of, yeah. of getting the, uh, you know, your insulin or whatever it happens to be to a, to a village which could take you three days to get there by road, by Land Rover. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, 
So, um, also in, in, the, in this issue, uh, we've talked about it before, we've done a special podcast, uh, so check that out, but we got a full uh, report on uh, Dubai, we were out there, uh, some of the highlights there, so that's going in, in the magazine as well, uh, yes, I'd like to say, I encourage you to, to go to Aerospace, Aerospace Insight, go and check out the, the dead blog from that, and our, our Roundup podcast. Uh, as well as obviously book reviews, uh, events, uh, uh, the diary, what's happening uh, in the magazine. Uh, and then upcoming events, shout outs, what, what's happening, what are we going to? We've got Singapore coming up in February. Yeah, so, uh, um, so if anybody is exhibiting at Singapore and has some news, please let yeah. us know. Do, do say hello then. And, and our 2024 events, uh, it's going to be another packed year of events. So we've got uh, FCAS Summit is, is returning. Uh, we've got uh, this AI uh, promised. Uh, probably a, a future of flight is coming back as well. And of course, Farm Russia. Farm Rio, yes. So we'll, the team will be out there. We'll be looking forward to that. Uh, and it's going to, it should be a bumper Farm Rio, especially with the, especially with, with, with GCAT news. Exactly. Yeah. I think all round, I think there's going to be a number of interesting developments this year. Yeah. So what are, what are we watching, reading, playing? Anyone like to suggest anything? Well, we've had a very short month because of Christmas deadline. So, <laughs> yeah, we go to print normal, uh, quicker than we normally do. So I haven't had time to read anything or watch much this month. I've seen the trailers for Master of the Air. Yes. Uh, Masters of the Air is the, uh, the latest uh, uh, franchise, if you like, from the Band of Brothers. Yep. Pacific oh, I think. Uh, yeah. And it, the, the trailers look good. Um, yeah, I, I'm a little dubious on some of the CGI, but I'm going to reserve judgment <laughs> until I've seen it, uh, seen it properly. But... Uh, that's looking good, and of course, you know, we are, as we record this, it's um, mid-December, we're running up into the Christmas period. Wouldn't be Christmas without The Shepherd, would it? The Shepherd, yeah. I mean, I you know, traditionally listen to The Shepherd, Frederick Forsyth, The Shepherd. It's one of those Christmas Eve traditions. Val, are you familiar with The Shepherd? No. Right. <laughs> Shepherd, ghost story, pilot flying back from... Um, from Eve, and um, gets lost in cloud, low on fuel, and... Somebody flies alongside him to escort him home. I won't spoil the rest of okay. it. Okay. Um, With another thing to add to the list. Add yeah. another one, yeah. Um, so Disney Plus have remade, or have made this as a short movie for Christmas uh, with John Travolta. I haven't seen it yet. It's got it's had really good reviews. Um, one of our regular contributors, Charlotte Bailey, friend of the show, uh, was on the consulting team for that. She wrote the Vampire Boys book, so she was drafted in because there was a vampire in the film. And from what I can glean, the attention to detail was really, really good. Yeah. You know, right down to they were asking questions about well, what colour telephone should be on the desk in the ops room. So wow. Disney, it's really, it's nice to hear they've, they've gone to the to, yeah, yeah. to the trouble of getting the yeah. detail right. So yeah, really looking forward to seeing that. Bella, have you watched anything or seen anything? Well, an, a monthly update of me reading my space <laughs> I'm actually almost done. I. Uh, <laughs> December's less busy, uh, sorry, busier, but also I don't let myself watch anything other than Christmas. But So now I've got an excuse to watch something. Yeah, yeah, but yes, I don't usually let myself watch anything other than Christmas, but I am still reading the SpaceX book and I'm almost done and I'm actually hoping my next non-fiction book will be Tim Peake's. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep... Keep your ears out. I'll probably finish that by next end of next year, you know. Well, <laughs> at the end of last month's podcast, we asked uh, listeners for their suggestions yes. on the film. And Dave Homewood, again, friend of the show, um, host of the Winds Over New Zealand podcast, has said, Bella needs to watch Appointment in London, okay. 1953 film. Okay. And, of course, Airplane, 1980. Yes, yes. I think yes. you were telling me about yeah, that recently. Yeah. So there's, there's the first two suggestions. I've got a lot to add to the list, but I'm excited to update everyone. Excellent. So there's, there's some Christmas homework. Yeah. Uh, and I have to admit, I haven't seen Appointment in London for years. So I'm going to see if I can find a copy of that to watch over Christmas. Yeah. Tim, have you been reading uh, or watching? Uh, well, I haven't been... Um, I haven't much time uh, to... I mean, obviously, uh, I, well, I spent a whole night watching when people do flight simulations on Monday night. Uh, <laughs> So, so that was quite fun, fun. but uh, yeah, there's now there's now two things I've got my eye on for Christmas, and uh, hopefully Santa will will be be generous, and uh, that's the Avro Vulcan from Just Flight and F14 uh, from uh, Heatler Simulations uh, for now out in, in Microsoft Flight Sim. So uh, two two great sort of stand on was well, stand add-ons there, uh, and the F14 in, in, in DCS is just 
uh, amazing anyway. It just puts a grin on your face. Just, just. I've seen the photographs you've been posting yeah. on Twitter or X. Yeah, even, even even when you're in a flat spin going out to sea and you, your your backseat is ejected, uh, you know, you, <laughs> it, it's still. It's still, uh, you know, kind of every Top Gun fantasy, uh, you know, um, uh, you, you ever wanted. Have you been below the hard deck in it yet? I've been uh, many times. <laughs> many times. Um, right, so where, where can, uh, so we round up, where can people keep the kids up to date with us? Yeah, um, I'm R.A.S. Bella R. on X. Okay. Steve? I'm at R.A.E.S. Steve B. on X, and I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook is Stephen Bridgewater with a PH and Stephen. Um, Tim, I believe you're a bit of an influencer now. Yes! Uh, allegedly, yes. Yeah. Tell us, tell, us, tell us about this. What is this accolade that you have been awarded? So, uh, so apparently I'm in the top 30, uh, yeah, top 30 aviation influencers. So He's an influencer now, guys. Are you? Uh, uh, n- number, n- number five in media. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm not surprised. I've not no idea how that happened. Well but, um, Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll take up the, 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 the compliment. Yeah. Well, well, that's well, your well, resume well, now. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so yeah, yeah. that's it for another year. Isn't yeah. It? So uh, as ever, uh, views, questions, feedback, uh, send them through. Uh, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. What would you like to see more of on this podcast? And, and I'll kind of have to say a happy new year to yeah. all. Yeah. Happy new year, everybody. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Look forward to uh, catching you in 2024. And looking forward to a very exciting 2024 yeah. in aerospace. Yeah. Bye guys. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.